It's good to be with you. How are how is uh how is your 21 days of fasting and prayer going? I I want to encourage you. If if you missed a couple days or you uh you got off track, don't be discouraged. Just jump right back in. Just keep going where you're at and uh, continue praying with us. I think it's awesome when I looked at um I looked at the the prayer point today and it was all about unity, wasn't it? And today we're going to be talking about unity in the church. We're going to be talking about the church community together, and I'm really looking forward to today's message. Uh, turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. This is where we have been uh, in our series. We just started last week, a series called Deep Roots, and we are talking about three different types of soils or three areas in our lives that we believe at our church that we are supposed to develop deep roots in. And so let's read John 15 again. I'm going to read verses 5, 8, and 16. We're going to jump around. I don't usually do this, but uh, there's there's one word in particular that I want to highlight, and it's the word fruit. So I'm looking for verses with fruit in it. It says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And Jesus said in John chapter 15, what we just read, that the calling on our lives, he directly relates being a disciple with bearing fruit, lasting fruit, good fruit. And when you're filled with the presence of God, when you're filled with his Holy Spirit, you produce what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5.22, it's things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control. There's a calling on the life of every follower to bear fruit, but it first has to be supported by years and years of root development. And like I said before, our passion here at Desert Church is to see people develop deep roots in three areas of our life. And the first area, we talked about it last week, it's intimacy with God. That we are all called to develop deep roots in a personal relationship, an intimacy with God. The second area is that I believe we see it throughout the life of Jesus. And in the early church, we're going to be talking about this today. We're supposed to develop deep roots in community in the church church community. And third, we're going to talk about this next week. We are to develop deep roots and service to the world. So today, let's talk about church community. I think for Christians who live in the Western culture, we have a steeper learning curve uh, when it comes to understanding the value of community because we celebrate individualism, don't we, in the Western world. We enjoy our privacy and we protect our alone time. And we have fences between our house and our neighbor's house because we want others to know where to stay out, right? This is the line. Don't cross it. We celebrate stories of people who went it alone and they made something of themselves all by themselves. They started at the bottom and now they're here. Wow, I can't believe he did that all by himself. Good for him. Good for her. We celebrate those types of stories. We walk into a coffee shop and we see people huddled in the corner with their headphones on as if to say, don't bother me. I'm doing something really important. 
Come on, I've been that person. Have you been that person in the coffee shop with your headphones on? Don't bother. Or maybe you're on the airplane and the, the universal sign for don't talk to me on this six-hour flight is I'm going to put my headphones on right now. And every once in a while, you get somebody who's like, hey, what's your name? And they want to talk. And us in the West are like, how dare you? Didn't you see I had my headphones on? I'm about to watch season six of whatever. You know, there's an obvious value for independence and individualism in America. And there's this book, it's called Foreign to Familiar, and the author, her name is Sarah Lanier, she points out um, this, this really interesting difference between cold climate and warm climate cultures. And she suggests in her book um, that cold climate populations tend to, be, tend to be more individualistic in their thinking and their approach to life. Cold climate cultures are generally more task-driven and hold as a core value that truth matters more than anything else. In contrast, warm climate cultures tend to be more communal. And they're more relaxed and they have a core value that relationships matter most. They matter more than truth. Now that's an interesting statement right there. But, but think about it. Think about it. Would you rather have relationship with others or would you rather be right all the time? We're going to come back to that question in a moment. Yeah, that's a tough question. Now, now, obviously, I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about compromising the word of God. I'm not talking about compromising what God says is true. But in a relationship, we all have a tendency, when you, have, when you disagree with somebody, if you're in a cold climate culture, if you disagree with somebody, the point is I need to make sure they know that I am right and they are wrong, even though you may not be right. But I need to make sure that they know where I'm coming from. I need to make sure that they know that I have the truth, that I know it's right. However, there, I, I think what God wants us to understand is that relationship one, with one another matters more than being right all the time. Yes. And you can observe this relational culture firsthand when you visit Hawaii. Has anybody ever been to Hawaii before? The, the locals are not in a rush. They take their time going to the grocery store. They drive five miles under the speed limit. And it's only tourists in the, in the rental cars that are speeding on the island. Sometimes it drives me bananas. If you, if you visit Hawaii, it honestly takes me about a full four or five days just to wind down and get used to the slow pace of the island. But you can observe this relational type of culture firsthand when you visit warm culture climates. And here's the reality. Uh, here in the West, it is so easy to isolate. It's so easy to separate ourselves from people. Independence and isolation, they may be natural in our culture, but they're countercultural to Christianity. Let me say that again. Isolation and independence are countercultural to what we see in the Bible. Christianity simply doesn't work in isolation. It doesn't work in independence. It only works in the context of community. And the enemy will do everything he can to isolate you. Either he tries to get you so hurt and so offended that you say, I feel misunderstood. I don't want anybody to control my life, to tell me what to do. I want to do my own thing. Or the devil tries to isolate you with shame over some issue in your life. 
And whenever you find yourself hiding from people or trying to push them away, an alarm bell should go off inside of your head. It should be ringing inside of your head saying, the enemy is trying to isolate me. And next, you should have the same response every time that alarm bell goes off. I'm, I'm going to talk to someone. I refuse to be isolated because isolation is a killer. Isolation will crush your spirit. Nothing destroys the power of shame or offense like choosing to move towards community. Not away from community. But if you, wanted to, if you want to destroy the power of shame and offense, then you move towards people. You move towards community. You know, in 2018, uh, my wife helped me realize that I was isolating myself from people. Uh, we had put together this close friend group made up of young couples in our church. And I think we had, uh, we had my daughter. Maybe we didn't have her yet. She maybe, I think my wife might have been pregnant with our daughter at the time. But we put together this, this group of young couples in our church. And uh, we would get together a couple times a month to hang out and to play games and just be one another. And suddenly we realized at one point that we weren't getting invited to things anymore. And we would look on Instagram and see all of our friends hanging out without us. They'd all be posting a group shot together and we're not in it. And we're thinking, what the hey? What is going on? What is happening? And we were hurt. My wife was hurt. I was hurt. And I didn't realize I was doing it at the time, but I began to isolate. And I began to stay up late into the night playing video games. And just like, I just want to be alone. This is all I need. I don't need anybody else. People hurt me. I don't want to try again. I don't want to get in a relationship. I don't want close relationships. I don't want to be disappointed by people. And my spirit in that season was feeling very weak. And I knew that I had to get intentional about relationships. So my wife, she started inviting couples over for dinner. And at the time, I was like, why are you doing this? Like, you might get along with, with her, but I, how do you know I'm going to get along with the husband? Like, we could be, you know, it was hard. Relationships are hard. It's hard to make friends as an adult, isn't it? You remember as a kid? It's like, hey, do you want to be my friend? Have you ever done that as an adult? Walk up to somebody and be like, hey, do you want to be my friend? Let me tell you, I've done this before. I've done this before. We're going to get back to this in a moment. But so many Christians, so many Christians have been hurt by people in the church because guess what? Church people aren't perfect. They are going to hurt you. I am going to hurt you. I'm sorry. And people have been hurt by the church and they think it's possible to have a flourishing relationship with God apart from his church. It simply isn't true. It's not true. I've, I've talked to so many people over the course of especially the last two years when churches shut down and when people went home and they could watch whatever pastor, whatever preacher online, and they decided they're going to be going to some church on the East Coast uh, by just attending online. Oh, yeah, I go to this church. I'm like, but isn't that in New York? What do you mean you go to that church? But people realize that, listen, I can have a flourishing relationship with God, but not be disappointed by people, not be held accountable by people, not be hurt. I, I can have a relationship with God, but I don't necessarily need his church. I've got this, this group that I hang out with that's like a, maybe it's a, a, a mom's group that you meet with. I have people in my life who've said, oh, they're, they're part of like a, a bicycle group and oh, they're like my church. They're like my, my crew. Let me tell you, you can get close to people 
and develop deep friendships outside of the church. In fact, you're supposed to develop deep friendships outside of the church. It's how you bring Jesus to people uh, in, in the community around us. But let me tell you that there is something that the church shares. We are a family. God has put us together for a reason. And when we look at John chapter 17, I want to look at how much Jesus valued community in the church, how much he valued people in the church coming together and being united. John chapter 17, I'm going to read verses 20 through 26. Now, the context of this prayer, before we read it, uh, we don't have an idea of uh, where this prayer was offered, but we assume from the references that John gives us that it occurred somewhere between the upper room and the Mount of Olives. Jesus prayed this prayer uh, in the final night before his crucifixion. This is one of the last prayers that Jesus prayed before going to the cross. And guess what it's about? It's about you and me. Both of us together. It's about you and me together in unity. He could have prayed for faith. He could have prayed for courage. He could have prayed for a number of different things, but he prayed for unity. So let's read it together. It says this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus prays that we would be united just as Jesus is united with the Father. The word community, you know this already, but the word community, it's a combination of two words, common and unity. And a community is a people with a common purpose, common values, and living in unity together. Now, let me tell you two things that unity is not. Unity is not pretending to agree about everything. Unity is not just pretending like you have everything in common. And in Romans chapter 14, Paul gives us this example in the, in the, in the church in Rome of people who were coming to the faith, Jews that were coming to the faith. And after Peter had this vision of a, a, a cloth from heaven, a sheet from heaven being lowered down with all different types of animals and, 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 uh, and the Lord told Peter, kill and eat. Don't call anything that I've made clean, unclean. And he was referring to bringing the Gentiles into the church at the time. But around that time, uh, people in the church started uh, eating different kinds of meats. And they started letting go of, of certain things in the law that were now uh, complete because Jesus had arrived on the scene. And there was conflict in the church. 
Should we eat meat or should we not eat meat? I don't know. And should we condemn those who eat meat? And should we encourage others who aren't eating meat to start eating meat? There was conflict in the church. And Paul in Romans chapter 14 talks about uh, not judging each other, that some of you in the church have more faith than others, but we aren't to judge or condemn one another, but we're also not supposed to make other people stumble. We have these issues sometimes in the church today in regards to tattoos and alcohol and public schools, uh, public school, or, or should I public school my kids or should I homeschool my kids? Uh, should I vote Republican or Democrat? Uh, what, what, what's your opinion about vaccinations? Oh, I know. I just said the V word in 2023. But here's the thing is we don't have everything in common. We have a lot of things in common. We have the most important thing in common, but we don't have everything in common. And unity is not pretending to agree about everything. By the way, if you have tattoos in this room, don't worry about it, okay? Some of you are feeling judged by me for a second. I'm glad you're here. I won't tell you what kind of tattoo I want to get. But now I feel some more people judging me for saying that. Goodness. Unity is not pretending to agree about everything. The second thing that unity is not is unity is not the absence of conflict. Unity is not the absence of conflict. There's chapters in the Bible that are devoted to church conflict resolution. <laughs> Paul, he rebukes Peter in Galatians 2. that they, they were unified, but they had conflict at times. And unity is not the absence of conflict. Jesus knew that his followers would not always agree, and they would have conflict. And there are two sides to the same coin. Our differences cause us at times to disagree and argue, but our differences also make us the body of Christ. We're all uniquely gifted, and we have separate callings upon our lives. So learning to appreciate the differences that each one of us carry, that not everybody in this room looks and acts like you, but learning to appreciate the God-given differences that, that we all share, it makes us the body of Christ. We wouldn't be the body of Christ if he had made uh, infinite hands and feet, right? Instead, each one of us are equipped to contribute something that only we can offer. I just want to read for you 1 Corinthians 12, verses 24 through 26. It says, So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the other parts are glad. Our differences help us care for one another. And Jesus knew how difficult this would be to walk out every day. Now, it is no surprise that his prayer revolved around unity. If you think about it, it's not a surprise that Jesus prayed for unity in his church. It's like he was thinking this as he was praying. It's like Jesus was thinking, if they could just come together, then everything else would be taken care of. The needs of one person can be met by the strengths of another, and they will have everything they need to complete the commission that I give to them. Why He could have prayed for courage, but if we come together, you can have the courage of the person sitting next to you. He could have prayed for more faith, but if you come together with people in your church, you can have the faith of the person sitting next to you. He could have prayed for your healing, but if you come together in unity with your church, you can have the healing that somebody else has had in their life. They can pray for you. They can bring healing to your life. 
Jesus knew that if we could just come together and if the gifts of the Spirit are operating in the church and everybody is moving through the power of the Spirit in service to one another, then the church can have everything that it needs. It won't lack anything. Jesus wasn't only, uh, he wasn't the only one aware of the power of unity. Satan knows that if the church unites, then the kingdom of God will swiftly overtake the earth. So the devil keeps us at odds with one another. And he brings up differences. And he highlights different things that we don't agree with. And we get hurt and we get offended. And then we want to isolate and run away because that person doesn't agree with me. Come on. We thought we were good at this. And then COVID happened. And the church suddenly realized, oh, wait, we're not good at this. We are not good at getting along with people who believe differently than ourselves. At learning to love them unconditionally despite what they believe politically. Despite maybe even small theological differences. We are not good at getting along with one another. And we have to get good. We have to lean into that prayer that Jesus prayed that we would be united. I've got four truths about church community that I want to share with you. And then I'm going to talk about just real quick towards the end how to be in community. More practical things that we can be doing to be in community. But these are four truths about church community. Number one, church community is patterned after divine community. That's a big deal. In verse 22 of John 17 it says I have given them the glory that you gave me that they would be one as we are one and before the beginning of time there was a divine unity there was a divine community in the three persons of what we call the trinity father son and holy spirit in John chapter 1 verses 1 through 2 it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was with God in the beginning it's describing Jesus as the word saying that he was there in the very beginning when the earth was created and the trinity is a difficult thing to grasp even for those who spend their lives studying it But we see in Scripture that the Trinity isn't one person with three roles or three personalities. The Trinity is three distinct persons, each with unique roles and differences. What makes the Trinity so incredibly unique is that the three persons are so united in love and in purpose and mission that they become one. Think about that again. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are so united in their purpose and their mission that they are seen as one. They are one together. We think it's cute when couples or best friends spend so much time together that can finish each other's sandwiches. That's, oh, somebody else picked up on it, right? Somebody said sandwiches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They finish each other's sentences. You know, think about, think about a, uh, uh, think, think about the Trinity as this. Think about a three person relationship that is so connected and single minded that when you ask one person a question, you're going to get the same answer from the other two. They all, they know all that there is to know about one another and they can move in perfect synchronization at all time. Jesus is so connected with the Father and the Holy Spirit 
that you can ask him a question. You can ask any of the members of the Trinity a question. They're all going to answer it the same. They know each other so well. They're so united in purpose and mission. It's like watching a three-legged race. Have you ever seen a three-legged race before? You know, you got two people that are kind of connected. They hold each other's arms, and then you tie the, the leg that's in the middle. You tie those legs together, and they run together. But it's like watching a three-legged race where it looks like that there's, it looks like one individual is running instead of two. And Jesus desired this ultimate form of unity for his church. He and the Father move together. They do everything together. And he desires for the church to move in perfect harmony. And if we moved in perfect harmony, then we would win every race we competed in. Jesus' desire is for our relationship in the church to be patterned after the relationship that he and his father share. It's a divine community. The second truth about community is church community is a witness to the world. In verse 23, it says, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This kind of unity does not exist in the world. The world is divided into nations, races, denominations, political parties, but the unity that Jesus prayed for rises above all those divides and compels us to come together as a heavenly family. We have the same blood running through each of our veins. It's the blood of Jesus that unites us and connects us. We are family. Whether you like it or not, surprise, we're family. Uh, Netflix just released a new version of the movie, All Quiet on the Western Front. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it, but if you don't like war movies, this is going to be a tough one to get through. It's an emotional movie. And uh, I was reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer's biography, and he talks about the time that he saw that movie in a theater uh, after World War II, or, or excuse me, after World War I. It was in 1930, Dietrich Bonhoeffer went with his French companion to go see this movie about World War I, All Quiet on the Western Front. And... You have a German, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a German, and his French companion are watching this conflict between their two nations on the big screen. And as, uh, as they watch this movie, he describes that both of them are weeping together. As the Frenchman, there's a scene where there's a Frenchman who's, who's laying, dying in a ditch. And, and the, the German soldier comes to the Frenchman. He's, he's, he's the one who stabbed the Frenchman, and he, he regrets it immediately after. And he comes to the Frenchman and says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he, he opens up his wallet and sees a picture of, of this man's wife and daughter in his wallet. And he begins to sob and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he's trying to mend his wounds, but the man ends up dying in the ditch. And during this scene, this German and this Frenchman are weeping together side by side. And everyone, on, everyone else in the theater is, is laughing at them during this scene, making fun of them. See, the world doesn't know this kind of unity, but Jesus knew that seeing it would reveal God to the world. When you see this type of unity in action, it reveals God to the rest of the world. The church is often criticized for its hypocrisy and the way that it can ostracize different groups of people. Unfortunately, the church is known more for what we hate than what we are called to love, one another. 
people. Imagine if the world witnessed the church come together across racial, national, denominational divides and just serve one another unconditionally. Regarding the other as more important than oneself. How would the world be different if the world saw that lived out in the church? Church community is a witness to the world. They're changed when they see that. The third truth about community is that church community is preparation for heaven. It's preparation for heaven. What do I mean by that? Revelation 7, 9 says this. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. By the way, this is a vision of the Apostle John. receiving. He's receiving a vision about heaven in the throne room. And he says that he looks and he sees people from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. You are going to spend eternity with people very different from you. White, black, Hispanic, Arab, Native Americans, Asian, every nation, tribe, people, language. Eternity will be filled with all kinds of people bound together by their love for Jesus. And the church is supposed to look like that today on the earth. We're supposed to model that today on the earth. Imagine what it, what it would have looked like for, uh, for Jesus to call, to call devout Jews and tax collectors and Samaritans at the same time. The rich young ruler, the working class, the academic elite. He called all of them to follow him. No matter where you're from or what you've been through or what you've done, you are all called to follow Jesus. We are all invited into this relationship with Jesus. How offended do you think a devout Jew would be that Jesus asked him to walk alongside a tax collector? To, to walk around the person that you hate, that you've spent decades, you've spent your whole life, you've heard your dad and mom complain about this kind of person your whole life, and it's built into your psyche that this kind of person is bad. I should not associate with them. They don't deserve good things. If I ever see one, I should avoid them. They've grown up with this mentality, and now Jesus is calling devout Jews to walk alongside tax collectors. He's calling people to be in relationship, deep, intimate relationship with people that they formerly hated. But it's preparation for heaven. If we're really honest, I think we can all admit that it's difficult to embrace cultures and peoples different from us at times. But if we're going but we are going to spend eternity with each other. So we are called to work on repairing racial divides and build bridges with each other. Political divides Denomination divides, all sorts of divides. Our, our country is divided in this season of our life. You know, I've been on a few missions trips before. Maybe you've been on a few missions trips, but I'm always surprised at the bond that I feel with other believers when I visit other countries. Have you ever experienced this before? You've gone to, uh, I remember going to Nicaragua in, uh, I believe it was 2007, And the believers over there, I felt a bond with them. They felt like family. It felt like like I knew them. We had something deeper together. 
They are from completely different cultures, lifestyles. They listen to different worship music, but we are connected in love by Jesus, and we belong to the same family. It's all preparation for what we're going to spend eternity doing. And lastly, the fourth truth is church community results in a life of love. Verse 26, 25 through 26 says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Somebody once said, loving the whole world is easy, but loving your neighbor is hard. It's easy to love somebody out there that doesn't bug you every day. That isn't requiring anything from you. We love the idea of world peace. We love the idea of spreading love and cheer and singing loud for all to hear around Christmas time. But it's hard to love your neighbor, isn't it? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said the church is the church only when it exists for others. Not dominating, but helping and serving. The church is the church only when it exists for others. Acts 2 provides us with a picture of what life could look like as a unified church. And listen to how they loved and cared for one another. This, this portion of scripture has been really big lately as we, we, we just launched Rooted yesterday. And this is one of the main verses as we go through Rooted. But listen to this, Acts 2, 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That sounds pretty utopic, doesn't it? That people were selling their possessions and nobody was in need and everybody was was devoted to one another. They shared in joy and generosity. Some of you may not believe this. But those who love Jesus and obey the Bible, I want to give you a statement. Uh, Somebody who loves Jesus and obeys the Bible is better at caring for you than you are at caring for yourself. They're going to be better for caring about you than you are at caring about yourself. Let others care for you. Let others help to care for you. And if we all care, care for one another, then each of our needs would be met. And that's the power of a unified church that Jesus recognized and prayed for in John 17. That they're going to be good at caring for one another if they make everyone else the point and not themselves the point. They stop seeking for recognition and status. If they stop seeking things that promote themselves and they start serving other people, then the church is going to be taken care of. They are going to be strong. They are going to be successful. Their roots are going to grow deep. Jesus knew this. 
So how do we be in community? These are just five thoughts that I had for you this morning. Five thoughts, things that, things that I've learned over the years and things that I've heard from people who've been following Jesus a lot longer than I. They've given me this advice as well. Number one, how to be in community? Be intentional. Be intentional. Like I said, you know, in grade school, we could say, do you want to be my friend? <laughs> and it's hard making friends as an adult, right? And very rarely do I meet someone and instantly feel a kindred spirit. Sometimes you meet somebody in your life and you say, you and I, you think to yourself, you and I are going to get along. We, we have a kindred spirit. There's something, there's something here that works. We understand each other. We, we, have, we have a similar background. There's something here I can learn from you. I can, I, can, I can invest in your life. And when you find someone like that, you have to be intentional. You have to ask them to go get coffee with you. Now, these are people that uh, you see as peers. These are people that you see as people who are going to fill you up and pour into your life. I believe that every person should be intentional about finding uh, three key relationships. Everyone needs a mentor. Everyone needs somebody like a Paul who is going to pour into their life, who is going to uh, give them wise counsel, who is going to be honest with them, and who is going to encourage them to rise up and to keep moving forward. Every person needs a mentor. Secondly, every person needs an apprentice. Every person needs somebody that they are discipling, somebody that they, they, they say, I, I want you to come along with with me. I want to take you on this journey with me. I want you to grow in your faith with me. So everybody needs a mentor. Everybody needs an apprentice and everybody needs an associate, somebody that they can count on, somebody who's shoulder to shoulder with them, somebody who's, uh, who, who understands what they're going through and you can share your heart with them. You can pour out yourself to them and know that, that they're going to be trusted to keep it between the two of you. And they're going to be honest with you. They're going to invest in you. Every person needs to be intentional about finding these three relationships. Do you have a mentor in your life? Do you have someone who speaks life, who encourages you, who challenges you? Do you have a mentor? Do you have an apprentice? Is there somebody that you are discipling? Is there somebody that you are pouring into? You're not supposed to hoard it all to yourself, but we're supposed to pour it into other people as well. And lastly, do you have an associate? Do you have a friend? Do you have somebody who walks along with you. Be intentional is the first thing. The second thing is be the friend that you want others, excuse me, be the friend you want others to be for you. Be the friend that you want other people to be for you. Do you want relationships that are reliable? They answer your calls and they come when they say they will. If you want those relationships, then be reliable. Be a reliable friend. Do you want relationships that are gracious when you make a mistake? Then be a gracious friend. Be, a, be somebody who's gracious. Do you want people to listen when you need to get something off your chest? Then listen to other people. Don't try to fix them all the time. Just listen. Do you want honesty in your relationships? Then be honest with people. Be the friend that you want others to be for you. The second thing, or excuse me, the third thing <clears throat> is we need to seek forgiveness and grant forgiveness in church community. For us to be unified, 
We need to seek forgiveness and grant forgiveness. Don't hold on to grudges. If you have a problem with someone, there's a way to graciously have a conversation with them. And if someone approaches you, don't get defensive. Listen to them and apologize for the things that you've done. Like I said before, the goal isn't to be right. The goal is to have right relationships. Can I be so bold to say is God is more concerned with you having good relationships in your life than being right all the time? Relationship is very important. In fact, it's so important that Jesus declared in his Sermon on the Mount, if you and your brother, if you have something against your brother, if you have sinned against your brother and there's something between two of you, then leave your sacrifice at the altar and go fix that thing and then come back and offer your sacrifice. Jesus is saying, I don't want anything to do with your worship, with your sacrifice, unless you have right relationships. Go fix this thing first. We also see Jesus tell a story about a a master with a a servant who owed him money. Have you you heard the story of the unmerciful servant? Where there was a, a servant who owed his master money, loads of money, and the master forgave his servant of all that he owed. And then that servant went away, and he had a servant who owed him money, but he was unmerciful. And he didn't show mercy to that servant, despite being shown mercy himself. And when the master heard about his servant's response, he said, take this man, throw him in prison, cast him out where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus says, the same thing will be done to you if you do not forgive those around you. It is important. Relationship is so important to God. Seek forgiveness And grant forgiveness. Do not hold on to grudges. Don't get defensive. The fourth thing is this. We need to constantly be refueled in God's presence. Get refueled in God's presence. People are difficult at times. And some of us need to ask for a larger capacity to offer patience and compassion. Some of us have a short fuse. We can only be in around some people for just a little bit of time. What are you saying, Pastor? Your tank will get larger and fuller only when you spend time in the presence of Jesus, when you spend time in the secret place, when you get away and you develop deep roots and intimacy with God. Your tank gets larger. Your capacity to show love and compassion and patience towards others, it gets larger. Some relationships fill you up. And this is a truth. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings here. Some relationships fill you up and other relationships drain you. That's a truth. It's not bad. It's natural. We're all called to minister to someone and to show unconditional love to people. And sometimes this can be draining, which is why it's equally important to have relationships that fill you up. To understand, okay, who are the people that fill me up? Who are the people when I'm around, I feel refreshed when I leave? One of my best friends, my former pastor, he just moved to the Midwest. And I had an opportunity at the end of November to go visit him. And, and the travel was incredibly stressful. I was delayed a whole day coming back. That's why I wasn't here at church the following day. But I came back from that just feeling refreshed by my friend. I felt filled up. 
And we just, we were, we had an opportunity to pray for one another and invest in one another, but find those relationships that fill you up and recognize, uh, which relationships drain you and which relationships fill you up. Not saying that you should step away from the relationships that drain you. You need to be in those relationships. You need to invest into those relationships, pour into those people, but also be getting filled up at the same time. And the last thing is this. I'm going to invite Mary to come up as we close together. Remember how Jesus loved you first. Remember how Jesus loved you first. You didn't deserve the love that Jesus gave you, but he offered it to you despite the fact that you were an enemy of God at one point. Remember that God himself loved you first. Just as I was describing, it's, it's Matthew 18, 32 through 35. It's the story of the unmerciful servant. It says, then the master called the servant in. He said, you wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And he says in verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus surrendered everything to love you. His whole life was poured out to serve you despite the fact that you were an enemy of God. This isn't just a cliche. Oh yeah, I was an enemy of God. No, you were at, the Bible says you were at war with God. Your spirit, the spirit, the the fleshly desires that you were born with, we were at one point at war with God and opposed to the things of God. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are now called friends of God. He loved us first. He loved us first. How much more are we called to love those who are equally made in the image of God as we are? I want to encourage you to look for opportunities to serve one another. Look for opportunities here in church to serve one another and outside of the church. But but there are plenty of opportunities here to be able to serve each other. Look at, uh, we just launched Rooted yesterday. And as we continue in our small groups, in our in our, our rooted groups in the future, look for opportunities to connect with people and to be intentional. It doesn't happen on its own. It doesn't happen. It, it doesn't just magically appear. Your best friends don't magically appear. Your family doesn't magically appear. We, we are intentional about our relationships in the church. And I believe that if we learn to look, if we learn to 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 observe what Jesus did for us and, and, and the relationship that he has with his Father and with the Holy Spirit, we can learn from divine community together. We can learn to be united. We can be a witness to the world. We can prepare for what we can expect in heaven, that we will be surrounded by people of all nations and tribes and tongues. We can care for one another. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this body. Lord, I thank you for this family. That we all have one thing in common for sure, and it is you. It is you that brings us together. You that unites us. God, I pray, I speak against offense in this room. 
God, would you give us hearts of rubber in terms of offense, that hurt and wounds would would be able to bounce off. God, we would be able to approach people in kindness and love and speak to them and resolve hurt that we have. God, I pray that we would be a people that doesn't take offense to things. I pray for broken relationships in this room. Not just between people that might be in this room, but for between relationships outside of this room, family relationships, and maybe hurt that came from people at other churches or or past things that happened. God, I pray for healing from those things. For us to understand that we are all imperfect people in pursuit of a perfect Savior. We're on a journey. So give us grace. Bring us together in your heavenly name we pray. We love you, Jesus, with all of our heart. Amen. Love you, church. We will see you next Sunday as we talk about the third soil service to the world. Bless you guys.